Guys, welcome to Real Talk with Keith Smith. My name is Jerry Miller. Thank you kindly for joining us. We are live in downtown Charlottesville, guys, on a Monday. Keith Smith on vacation in sunny St. Martin. We wake up to 25 degrees in Keswick. And Keith is uh, lounging on a beach, recharging with his family. Props to him. Keith, it's quite chilly here in Charlottesville and in Central Virginia. Today's guest is um, a gentleman that has become a household name when it's come to upzoning and it's come to density and it's come to the draft zoning ordinance. To say we're at the bottom of the ninth inning is an understatement. Uh, a lot of political prognosticators have indicated that um, this vote could happen as soon as the next meeting. Um, a version of upzoning will be approved. Which version, time will tell. I think it's important, and what we've tried to do on this network, what Michael Guthrie, the award-winning broadcaster, does on Real Estate Matters, is offer perspective on both sides of the fence. Um, a well-informed political um, ecosystem is a better ecosystem because it leads to more engagement at the civic and local level. So we'll offer that perspective with, with, with the man and that I, I think you guys already know. I certainly have, have followed him. Local stakeholder Roy Van Dorn. Judah Wickhauer is our director. If we can go to the studio camera and then a three shot and welcome Michael Guthrie, who's sitting in the hot seat for Keith Smith. This guy's an absolute pro. And you set up this interview, and I'm very grateful for you setting up Roy Van Dorn on set today. Yeah, I, I'm excited about it. Roy as well, and and quite honestly, you know, I tried to have somebody from the other side of the uh, equation as it relates to the zoning cor um, ordinance proposal that, like you said, uh, I think will get voted on by the end of the year. I've talked to uh, a number of the stakeholders, and uh, and and they're saying, you know, we want to get this done. Uh, quite honestly, and Roy and I have had this candid conversation. You know, counting the noses, uh, it is the bottom of the ninth. Uh, for sure, and probably two outs with two strikes. Um, but, but the point being is it's not too late to continue to engage and to have people, when they're voting on this, understand that uh, there, there are other things that, that need to be considered, right? And, uh, and so, as I say on my show all the time, what we want to do is we want to give people, we want to educate people so that they can make a, a good decision on their own on the, on, for their own reasons, right? And, um, and, and that's what we're trying to do here. And, you know, the, the car leaders, um, car came out in support of, of this proposal and, and would have loved to have had one of the, the leaders, but a bunch of them are in, in Richmond today, so uh, couldn't be there. And, and, and several other people that I, I reached out to, it just didn't, didn't work out. Um, but we want to have, and I will, you know, be talking about both aspects of this because I think that's really, really important. But the reason I wanted Roy to come on the show is that Roy has, has done his homework. Roy has, in the, in the old Young Life days, maybe in the first Young Life area director here in Charlottesville, um, Roy's earned the right to be heard, right? He's walked the walk before he's talked the talk uh, in regards to being around Charlottesville for a long time, being involved in, in a lot of the visitor type of things, things that, that make this, this city great, uh, this community great, uh, Central Virginia great. Uh, but this is a passion for him, and he's, he's spent his time and, and, and written a number of white papers uh, uh, encouraging people along the way and uh, speaking um, strongly about how he feels, but in a very reasonable and, um, and, and compassionate way, a way that everybody has respected, whether they agree with him or disagree with him. Well said. Roy, why don't we take a moment and introduce yourself to the viewers and listeners. Maybe... Um before we talk up zoning, just give them some insight into what Charlottesville means to you, how long you've been here, and, and why you care so much about this community. Well, I uh, uh, thank you, Jerry. I, 
I uh, moved here in 1990 and moved here by choice from California. I wanted to have a great school system for my kids. Uh, we moved to Albemarle County, uh, and it's been a, a two of my kids went to UVA. Got deep roots in the community all these years. Four years ago, I bought a property in downtown. I moved from the county to the city and have really enjoyed being a citizen of the city. The, the, uh, the neighborhood's great, people are great, and that is why um, I'm so passionate about this. I work in the visitor community. Uh, I do visitor marketing for a wide scope from UVA to uh, the, the winery industry to Monticello and you name it. And we have a great community here, and I'd like to see it continue as a great community for, for all people. But the proposal that has been put for, forward by the Planning Commission through their consultants and now has been moved to the City Council for ratification, it, it's kind of like a bait and switch, honestly, because what was first proposed was we have some challenges with housing costs. It costs too much for a family or a couple to live in Charlottesville. And it's the, you know, that, that is a challenge that we look at just within our community. But I think, Michael, and, and you, you both know that it isn't just Charlottesville that has this problem. And, and there's some other issues that drive affordability, like the cost of money. And we think about it in home loans, but if you're a developer, you're borrowing money, if you can get it, at 10%. And if you're trying to do some speculative building or building anything of scale, banks, especially small regional banks, they're just not interested in working, because they can't, for a variety of reasons. And that, that trickles down to the cost of homes, cost of development, and this plan really doesn't, can't address those issues. Um, I'll throw this to Michael. This is how I highlighted this, and, I, and we try to do the same thing that Michael does on Real Estate Matters, is look at things from both sides of the, the fence, um, offer both perspectives, and you have a, it might be down the middle in this community where half the community is so pro-upzoning and the other half of the community is frankly vehemently opposed to it. And it's been going on for so long that this topic has got momentum and it's got, um, it's in our crawls. It's stuck in our minds because it's been happening for years. I'll throw this to Michael. My take is when you make the land more opportunistic, and by opportunistic, I mean you can do more, uh, more things with the land, um, it's going to cause the land value to appreciate in value and be, become more costly. And when land is more costly because you can add more houses or more units, more income streams to it, at the same time that the um, interest rate environment is fairly high, the cost of goods environment is, is fairly high, there's a labor shortage which makes the active labor expensive, it's going to yield housing product that's expensive. You've got expensive land and housing product, and the folks that are going to be able to you know, afford to do these types of projects are folks that are fairly sophisticated businessmen and businesswomen, and they're going to be looking at things from an ROI standpoint. And while we may have a looser zoning code that does create more density, that's not to say that density that is created is going to become affordable. 
throw it to you on that. Yeah, so that's where I come from in regards to the fact that I, I absolutely am in support of doing things that increase availability and affordability. Uh, I think that there are ways that it can be done. Um, at the same time, where I would push back on you, Jerry, in regards to that is I, I think it can be done the other way. And just as a simple math, PE major, you know, uh, kind of math, if, if, if I have a million-dollar property, right, and I can change that property into four units, instead of it being a detached home, which, you know, a lot of people, that's what they're talking about is that, you know, the detached homes limit uh, the ability to, to create more units. So if I take that million-dollar property, and again, simple math, uh, and I put four units in there, well, now I have four $250,000 units, which people can afford, right, uh, or some people can afford. Um, the, the problem that you have is, is it, it's not that simple. So you're right, it could increase the, the value, the appreciation, which you're not really hearing a lot. You hear me say it uh, a bunch. I ca I'm concerned about neighbors as well, that if you're right and those things appreciate, then their taxes are going to go up. You know, that wasn't something that they chose. You know, somebody chose it for them, but all of a sudden they're paying more real estate taxes than they were before. But, but the point I'm making is it can be done. I was in Houston a few years ago. Um, a dear friend of mine um, had a heart transplant, and, and Dottie went down and spent two weeks with her, and I went down and spent some time. And, and we were walking down a street, uh, much like, say, Locust Avenue or Park Street, and these really cool old houses there. And I realized about halfway down the street that they weren't single-family homes. They were four or five units that had different interests in the house, but you didn't, the streetscape didn't change. It went, you know, from the detached house to these houses, and you didn't really feel that it happened, right? And, and, and so for me, that's, you know, kind of what I've been thinking and talking about for the last couple, three years, is why can't there be more of that versus in, in these zoning proposals having a, 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 a home that's been there for 50, 60 years and now having a three-story apartment building next door, for lack of a better explanation, apartment building. The streetscape is going to change, and therefore the, the lifestyle, um, the aesthetic value of it. And so in some ways, one, the, the uh, property value could go down in that situation. Uh, somebody that's in the 60-year-old house that they fixed up and, and, and it's selling at a current rate of X, if all of a sudden they've got an apartment next door, there's... You know, again, simple, right? For every 10 buyers that look at my house, if I have it on the market, I want every, every one of those 10 buyers to say, this is the house I want to buy. If I have that, then I have demand, which means I'm going to get the best price with the best terms, right? In a situation where there's a, a property next to me where there's three or four different people now looking into my backyard, out of those 10, maybe five, Maybe four, maybe seven, whatever it is, it's not ten anymore. No, right? It's not and then ten. The second part, and then because I, I know you've got something to say there, the second part of this is is as it relates to um, the affordability part of this, that the city wants to have at least one unit, or ten percent uh, of the units being at AMI, you know, area media, median income. And folks, please understand that that AMI is different in every locale. It's not the same. So don't look at a national. Uh, scenario and, and, and put it to Charlottesville because it's not like that, or vice versa. Don't use Charlottesville and someplace else. But my point being is, if you have even 10 units 
And one of them is, because it's 10%, has to be uh, sold at a, at a lower affordable price. Nobody can say to me that those other nine aren't going to be priced higher to offset what the builder and developer had to do with that other unit. Not that doing that isn't a good idea, but that goes back to your point, Jerry, is that that's what pushes the price up on these others, which makes the other nine not affordable right. to other people. And we have a visual, and I'll pass it to Roy. I, c- I could tell you're, you were itching to get to this <laughs> visual here. Uh, Judah Wickhauer is going to queue up a visual. You be the Al Michaels and offer the play-by-play of what we're about to see. He's going to give you a thumbs up when those visuals are on screen. First, set the stage of what's happening. Well, I, I use my own house as an example. Uh, it's public knowledge of where I live because... Uh, it just is. It's a beautiful Cape Cod. Yeah, it is. And um, I rebuilt it. And I'd screen in the porch if I were you. Yeah. <laughs> it, is, it is a nice, uh, we have a couple of porches, and it is a, it's a, really a beautiful uh, neighborhood. And it's, I, I moved there by choice. And we have neighbors. It's Rugby Avenue, and Rugby Avenue is a lot like Locust and Park and a lot of the bigger major streets that were major streets 70 years ago. And the houses are far, 70. 70 years yeah, ago. Because yeah. when this was built and, and, the, and the neighborhood that Michael and I live in, it, you know, that was the outskirts of town. There was no bypass. This was out in the middle of, it was on the edge of town. And so this was the major east-west road uh, that went from Freebridge to UVA. And so when you have a major road, it's like living on 29 back then. They didn't put the houses right on the sidewalk. They set it back for the, for the road noise and everything else. And so we have quite a big front yard. And just similar to like Locust and Park and some of the other streets here in Charlottesville. And so now this, the city has created a, or is proposing to create a zone called RC, which is the most intensive residential uh, initially, uh, the Planning Commission had proposed to include commercial uh, in, 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 the, in the neighborhoods. They, the city council has now walked that back. Walked it back a yeah. little bit. Lloyd Snook has led that charge. Yeah, and, and I have to thank him for that. And, and I think the other councilors understand that that's just a little too much and too hard uh, because the community needs to absorb what is being proposed. And th- that was just like one too many bricks to carry. What, though, has been proposed by the Planning Commission and the City Council has seemingly adopted is the idea that on the second slide you'll see, you will see a 12-unit apartment complex put next to my home. Now, is this kind of extreme? It is, but this is perfectly legitimate. And as Michael said... I'm not sure it's extreme. No, no. It's a possibility. Well, it's, and this is actually a development in Albemarle County. So it's, what, what happens is if somebody's going to buy a teardown next to a, another home, they're going to try to maximize their investment. As it changes from residential to commercial. In the commercial situation, you have to maximize your return. So they're not interested in a fourplex because that lot is four-tenths of an acre. They can maximize it, this new setting. All the parking can be out on the street. It can be put four feet from, the, from your side lot. So as a builder, 
as an investor, as a developer, you'll want to maximize your investment and you want to wring out every dollar that you can. And sometimes it may include, like you said, Michael, it might have uh, an affordability uh, component to it and you have, and, and you agree that you're going to do it at a certain percentage of AMI. So now everything gets pretty expensive and they have to maximize the lot. Let me ask you this question, very pointed question, then Michael, any, I'll adapt to you guys here. If, if you put slide one on screen and then flip from slide one to slide two, slide one is how it currently looks right now. Judy, you got that on there? Okay, everyone, this is where Roy lives now. This is what it currently looks like. Put slide two on screen if you could. If slide two becomes a reality, do you list your house and move? I would try to list it before. You would list it before. Because um, it it also changes the financial issue. Now that you've converted residential, single-family dwelling residential, to mixed commercial and residential, the appraiser, and he said this publicly, that now the utility of that land is worth so much more. Definitely. Because now you can put 12 units on it instead of one. And I get that. And You know where we're really seeing this? And Michael, I'll pass it to you. Um, Ludwig Kutner and Alan Kajin own X Park. And at X Park, they're being taxed on the potential of what that 17 acres could be and not what that 17 acres is today, which is an art park and kind of a retail center. They're being taxed on the potential of apartments and or condos there. So I've spoken with Ludwig many times about this. The tax bill is obscene versus the rent rolls that are currently being brought in in their current form. Yeah, I mean... And, and, and Roy and I have talked about this, I, and maybe I'm a little Pollyanna here, but in all honesty, I don't see this building being built next to, to Roy's house. I understand where he's coming from and that, that the zoning, the way it's set up, it could allow it. Um, but I, I think this is the kind of thing that uh, even by right, uh, City Planning Commission, uh, things like that. Now, again, you go down Rose Hill Drive and, and a building has recently been built that, that people use as sort of the, you know, the, this is what it could look like. I think um, what, what the mayor has done, uh, you know, in regards to this other aspect of it has, has kind of quelled that, that concern. But, uh, you know, one of the things that, um, and so going back to what you said, the taxes, right, it's, it's already been something. It's something I've been talking about for years about, you know, somebody comes in and they, they knock down a house and they build a $1.2 million house on it because they want to live and walk to Charlottesville. The people that have lived there for years and years and maybe their family has lived there for a generation or two are now put in a situation where their house is valued at more for the potential. Um, and, and I think, you know, we talk about affordable, Right. Uh, those folks may not be able to afford the, the real estate taxes, right? And then people say, yeah, but they could sell their house for so much money. Well, where are they going to go? This is their home. This is their community. Nothing against Louisa, nothing against Nelson, nothing against Pluvanna or Green. Let me name them all so I don't leave anybody out. Uh, being far out, that's not where they're, they're from. That's not where, where they've, they've grown up and that kind of thing. And so I, I, I would like to see some conversations going on as it relates to that. I know there are some tax relief situations that, that are in the city now, but I, I just think that, and what I've said before, is I'd love to see something grandfathered, that this is, these are my taxes, use Ludwig for a minute, 
this is my taxes in regards to when I bought it and what, I'm, what my use is on it and everything. And if somebody comes and buys my 17 acres for a jillion dollars, we'll let that person pay the taxes on the jillion dollars, not me on the potential of it, right? And so, uh, you know, from my perspective, um, that's, you know, that's another part of this equation that the data, and, you know, there are white papers written, and, and, and the thing is, folks, you need to understand this um, zoning, upzoning, downzoning, whatever you want to call it, um, again, I want to say again that, that this is all, everybody's intentions are good here, right? We all want to create affordable housing. We want to have more housing availability. We got this this morning at Pancakes for Breakfast. People can't swell. I'll have to hold it up here. But um, Pancakes for Breakfast at the, at the car meeting, and, um, you know, few of the um, state senators and delegates were there, and they handed out this book, which was great. It's called On Common Ground, Zoning Inv Innovation. The realtors are very much for property rights and using um, the, getting the best use out of, out of property rights. And, and I think that's why the Realtor Association were, you know, came out in support sure. of this. I just feel like there's still data. It's still too soon. You know, a couple white papers that I read talked about, yes, the um, the, the, what we're seeing is, is availability and affordability, but it's still too early to set, tell. More research needs to be done. Um, and, and so from my standpoint, you know, and I don't think it's going to happen, uh, so, but if the pause button could be pushed uh, to get some of these answers, and I, going back to where I was going with this in the first place, there's a chance in Roy's neighborhood on Rugby Avenue that you're only going to be able to park on one side of the street, Right. That all these the the logistics and the infrastructure and the travel sort of thought process going back to what we talked a little bit about last week, Jerry, in regards to the ten-story building over at um, uh, at um, Ivy, the Truett site, Ivy and Masset, yeah, yep. the Truett site. Um, the reason that got tabled is because they didn't have a transportation study done yet as to what that was going to be for that many people. I'm not going to mention names, but there's some people out there that, you know, in my opinion. I don't know where, where they think that somebody on, on Lewis Mountain Road or somebody on Rugby Avenue is going to all of a sudden start walking or, or Ubering to Barracks Road um, because they don't need that car anymore. That, I just think that I understand. That's not realistic. It's a wonderful thing to think about, but yeah. it's not realistic. Right. And if you bring in even half of what's shown right. in this, this picture, yeah. that's several more car, cars on that site. And if, if one of the ways we're going to do that is we're only going to park on one side of the street, these other folks, when we talk about property rights, this is the way they bought the house and that kind of thing. And I, I, I loved Roy's uh, example of this, uh, although I think most of the folks have driveways so that they could do this. But he was talking about how crazy would it be that here we are trying to save energy and we've got all these electric cars and people are having to you know, have their extension card go across Rugby <laughs> Avenue to plug it into their car. You said that right? before city council. Yeah. yeah, right, right. And so, uh, you know, most of those, in all honesty, realistically, most of those have driveways. But it's sure. a great point, you know, that all of a sudden that's an inconvenience to people who have been able to park in front of their house and now can't, you know. And uh, so, anyway, there are just a lot of different things. And I know city council has spent a lot of time in this. I know they had the, you know, the, the, I think part of the problem with this is a lot of the first couple, three years of this was in covid and so a lot of this, you know, got done and talked about and stuff, and then all of a sudden it was out there. Again, give them the benefit of the doubt. It's been another two or three years. Um, I just feel like there's data that still needs to be, um, you know, 
sort of investigated and substantiated. We will get Roy in the mix. We got an appraiser watching the program, Woody Fitchum. Uh-huh. Woody Fitchum has a comment for us. He says, uh, statutes require valuing the real estate at its highest and best use. Municipalities cannot tax in-use value. If you own something that has a different highest or best use than its current use, then you have uh, your deal with it. Um, that being said, most assessment offices are out of their booth when it comes to supportable highest and best use. Um, so he's talking about um, assessing land on highest and best use or potential, oh, if you That's may. the Kootner example. Yeah, exactly. Example. And that's it's going to shift to residential. And, and speaking of, of zoning, uh, David Brown and David Toscano spoke at... Former the, mayors. Yeah, both former mayors yeah. and several prior city council members have talked to me privately. And I think everybody is of the same concern, is that when and I'm speaking primarily of RA, RB, and RC, which is the residential component, that if the city decides to do a fairly uh, aggressive, and I mean aggressive being probably the highest transference from R1 to any place in the country, uh, if you upzone to RB or RC and it doesn't work out and in good intentions, everything was great, but it doesn't work out, going backwards is almost impossible. It's like you, you let the horse out of the corral, and once that horse is gone, you can't bring it back. Uh, and that is the problem that we have, with, and that's one of the concerns that both David Brown and David Coscano mentioned was, you know, we're not in a race here. This is a long-term process. Uh, you know, the city council has said this is a living document. We can adjust it. Yes, some parts you might, but once you've now declared something to be eligible for five uh, for five stories, you can't the next year say, "Well, we're going to change that to a two-story or three-story," because now you're really opening yourself up. For, for a lot of big lawsuits. There's so well, much I want to cover with you guys here. Go ahead, Michael. Let me just yeah. piggyback on what, um, what Roy just said. The reason you can't do that is listening to Keith's show, you and Jerry, uh, I mean, Keith and, and Jerry doing the show, one of the things we talk about all the time is how long it takes from the time you buy a piece of land to the time you get it to an actual use, right? And, and part of that is because, for a lot of different things, but one of the reasons is because the city has been slow they're better. I think Sam Sanders is doing a great job of yeah. trying to engage people and get things you know, moving forward. Every time I've reached out to him about everything, he's been very responsive and says he's going to look into it, and he does, right? I'm grateful for that. But if, if, let's just say it's three years, four years. Okay, we, we have this plan. It gets approved. Somebody buys this piece of property next to Roy, using that as our hypothetical, right? And they start working toward a five-story building. And in two years from now, say, oh, now you can only do a three. Well, that five stories have to be grandfathered, right? It's because that's the way it was set up. But on the other side of that, and one of the things I've been uh, communicating with, with the vice mayor about is I, I get the fact, I count the noses, I, I, I understand what's going on. But can you please, in whatever you approve, can you put these safety nets in? Can you put in actual, uh, into the language that we're going to review this at, at such and such a time and at such such a time things can be, 
change, not what you've already agreed to and got approved, but, but things beyond that. And then secondly, um, uh, is it Jim Freeze? Oh, yeah. James, yeah. James Freeze. James Freeze. James Freeze. Sorry. James, James Freeze. Neighborhood yeah. Development Services. Yeah, so yeah. he has been very pu- you know, uh, publicly noted that, that this is not going to be the last zoning um, uh, thing that we work with and that it, it, it communicates it's going to be dynamic and that we're going to work on this and whatever. I get that, but to say it in 2023 – Versus in 2024 or 25, when the data doesn't prove out to be what they thought it to be, I just think if I think and Roy, you tell me if if I'm wrong on this because you're on that side of the equation. I just think it it quells some people's concerns if they can see that that city council, you know, is is understanding that they're they're going to be they're probably going to need to be changes made to this, whether it's because of transportation or whatever, and that they're actually built in on how you do that versus it, we've got this, and then we've got to do this for another six years to get another change. Well, I think one of the, one of the common themes by a lot of people that, that have uh, spoken at both the Planning Commission public hearing and also the city council public hearing, the single uh, opportunity the community really has to voice their opinion other than in writing, is let's start with a good plan that encourages infill development, but on a smaller scale. Let's walk before we run and then learn what, what we can from doing ADU development. Make it easy and, and then also incorporate, rather than in in RA, which is the uh, the current lowest intensity use of property, there's really not a mechanism that encourages people to consider affordable housing. Again, if I'm going to build a second home behind my home, I'm going to rent it out at at market rate because it's it's an expensive thing. But if the city could come forward with some incentives to help people with concierge service or approved, pre-approved ADU units, or a tax freeze, or something that on the utility side that makes it work, people will come out and say, you know, I could build an ADU in my backyard. Have you seen the cost of the ADU constructions? Oh, it's, it's not. A couple hundred thousand plus. Exactly. Yeah. And, and the problem is, is that if I want to build an ADU at my house, Either I have to have cash in my hand or, generally speaking, people have to remortgage their house. Yeah. And who wants to do that now? I'm sitting on a 3% loan. Do I want to go get a 7.5% loan to, to, to fund a $250,000 development in my backyard? Probably not. Well, start, start planning now because 2025, it'll, it should probably be in the five. So uh, really close. I, I, I Michael, <laughs> Michael Buchensky, First Heritage Mortgage, said late said on Friday's show that he expects the rates to be in the mid-fives this year. Fantastic. This year. This, or in 2024. I mean, we're at the end of 23. Wow. In 2024, Michael Buchensky says mid-fives, 2024. Did he put money on that? <laughs> he, he said mark it down. Spoke <laughs> with, really? Yeah. Spoke with confidence. Well, you know, that, that, that's great. But I think the city could do something and scale it back a little bit, walk before we run. NDS is still way understaffed. Big time. uh, For planners, plan review. Uh, You know how long it takes to get a plan review. It's it's just incredibly long. And I know that NDS has been so involved with this uh, comp plan review that everything kind of goes kind of water just keeps going down the river where they're not taking care of business day to day. 
James is doing a good job. Yeah, he's doing the best he can with what he has. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. the city is still over 100 people short of a full-staffed city employee employment. So I, I know that there's some challenges there, but and that is exactly why I'm advocating come up with something like RA for the entire city for single family. You can still triple the potentially triple the size of Charlottesville um, with RA. And then maybe in two years, four years, like you say, Michael, at that point, say, what did we learn? We haven't blew up the neighborhoods. We've built some things that are different, but not blown them up. And then we say, okay, now that we've and maybe we'll have a bus system that works better than it does now. I mean, there's a lot of things that are missing from this equation for implementation. So much I want to cover with you guys. Um, and I want to cover the both, both sides of the coin here. Sure. Um, and, and you would be a fantastic guy to throw this supply and demand topic to proponents of upzoning. Sure. Highlight the old adage, supply and demand. If you increase housing supply, it could breed price stability or stabilizing prices, because there's more options for the market to choose from. Um, folks have even taken it a step further. Even if additional supply comes at the top of the price spectrum, those that are owners or those that are wealthy can go after the top of the price spectrum, which opens up uh, the, the price spectrum right below that, and the one right below that, and right below that, because there's less competition on the pricing pyramid if you may. So we need to cover both sides, to be fair here. We also should highlight what I'm seeing with a lot of city residents. Um, streets are galvanizing together to put covenants and restrictions on their houses, essentially creating mini HOAs right. on their streets in the cities. We should highlight that topic. And thirdly, I think what could happen, as an Almaro County resident in an HOA neighborhood, I would think that as this continues to go down the pipe, the HOA neighborhoods around the Urban Ring and in Almaro County are going to see even more value proposition because those covenants and restrictions for those respective neighborhoods prevent this from potentially happening, and there's still a large portion of the population that wants the white picket fence and the backyard and the front yard and wants not much noise, and they want peace and quiet in their respective neighborhoods. So I want to throw it to Michael to start here. The other side the supply and demand, and those that are in favor of this upzoning uh, concept? Well, supply and demand, um, anybody that went to UVA uh, at some point went through Dr. Elzinga's class, <laughs> and that's where that. we all learned supply and demand. That's right. uh, and I, I was watching a video of him the other day uh, where he uh, talked about, what was it, um, decreasing margins. And he uses the analogy of uh, having a child and every hour giving the child some ice cream. And slowly but surely, as the day goes along, she doesn't want the ice cream anymore because she got so much of it that, you know, she doesn't, she doesn't want it anymore, right? Uh, so going back to supply and demand, um, I, I absolutely agree with what you just said in the fact that if, in fact, again, let's just assume that that's the case, that the higher price has more options. I had a long, uh, had a dinner with, with uh, college friends, 50-year-old college friends, a few weeks ago, and we were talking about the dearth of places where folks my age can downsize into a community. And that's why you see the White Gables, the Kenridge, those are just, Ednam, all those just get, uh, the cottages at Glenmore, all those just get bought up right Immediately. away. Immediately. Because yeah. there's yeah. just not enough supply. 
and there's a huge demand, right? So using the example of, in this situation, condo living, because that's what we're talking about, you know, if there's more things at the higher end, and I, and I can tell you right now, I have a friend, who, a fraternity brother of mine, who wants to move back to Charlottesville, and we're watching the, the condo market, very little uh, in the 500 to 800,000 range is available right now. Denise right? Ramey's got a listing in Kenridge right now, a townhome at 975. Right, right. 975. Right. And so, uh, but the point being is that's a... That's, that's a vertical. Verti- that's a vertical. Yeah. Right? And, and some people, even with the elevator, some people don't want the vertical. But anyway, the point being is if this person can buy that top end, then their house becomes available. Right? And when that house gets sold then the person who bought it that and so you it can technically it can trickle down to the first time home buyer in the fact that finally there's there's enough for second third and fourth home buyers to buy right mm-hmm. uh, and 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 i think that 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 is the case but I, I think again it goes back to can somebody substantiate and 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 show us not from missouri but show us right that by doing this we're going to have Okay, let's all agree that we're going to have availability. That's what we just said. But are we going to have affordability, right? That's what I still, I can't figure out the numbers where the affordability comes into this. You hope at the end of the day that there's enough supply that people begin to say, no, I'm not going to pay that price. But this is another thing that we have to think about as it relates to Charlottesville. Charlottesville, not anywhere else in the country. Maybe there are other places, but in Charlottesville, there are a lot of people that come in here who went to the university, want to come back to Charlottesville, relive the good old days, uh, sing the good old song, uh, and, and they're going to pay whatever because they're coming from San Francisco, they're coming from New York, they're coming from New Jersey, whatever. They're going to pay cash, right? And so that whole supply and demand thing doesn't work because those folks are in a position where they have the cash to just go do it, and Woody, being on the show, will be the first one to tell you that when, when they come in and pay cash, they, they oftentimes pay more than the house is worth, and therefore that becomes a comp. <laughs> and so when the next person puts their house on the market, they go to that comp, and all of a sudden you have this inflated pricing. And because of that, I think that creates a whole nother discussion that I, d- I don't think hear people set, talking about is that a lot of these people who are buying homes are buying homes from outside of here with cash. They're not, I mean, not that there aren't people buying homes that live here and work here. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying we have a, we have a preponderance of people that, and that's why the, the value of homes in Charlottesville is significantly higher than Richmond, even though Richmond's the state capital, right? You can buy a lot more house for sure. the same money in Richmond than you can in Charlottesville because of this inflation, inflationary scenario where people just come in and they pay this money and, and there's, no, there's no appraisals that need to be done to to determine the fair market value of it. I know you want to jump in, Roy. Well, I, yeah. I think you're right about supply and demand. I mean, uh, Michael, you were correct in what you said, but what we also oh, have here's to... here's the but. Yeah, but here. <laughs> but he, okay. Here is the but. But I respectfully disagree. <laughs> Albemarle County and Charlottesville live in the same nutshell. Yeah. We're, we're, we're kind of a pea in a pod. We're, we're together. And, and, you know, over the years, the county and the city haven't always agreed on everything. Um, that's definitely you, fair. And, and then you have UVA in there. That is the engine that's pulling a great deal of that. But in Charlottesville, we have 10 square miles. 
it's, it's a city that's been around for a couple of hundred years, and what's left to develop is primarily infill. And if I go to a development in Crozet or I go to a development anywhere in the county where you're developing a tract of land and I can build 50 homes on this development, I have one development manager, I've gone through one permit process, I've, I've, it's, it's a very efficient model to build a lot of homes or apartments or condos or whatever it might be. But to build those same 50 homes in Charlottesville in the city is a tall order because everyone is an individual project. Everyone has different sewer hookups and everyone has a lot of issues. And, and, and then the construction cost and just the shortage of labor and skilled labor and, and builders and contractors. A contractor can, can say, I, I'll go build something in Charlottesville, but there's a premium that's added to that because of the all the issues having to do with the approval process. The pain and the the tuchus. Yeah, no kidding. If you may. And so there is that premium that you're paying just to to do infill construction. It's very expensive. You've got trees to deal with. You've got a lot of things that you don't have to deal when you've got a clean piece of dirt. So Neighbors. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And so you you do have the, the premise of supply and demand, if all things being equal, is valid, but you, you also have to caveat that by saying, yes, but when you're doing infill, it's a whole different ballgame. That's fair. That's fair. Um, viewers, and Patricia Irby's watching the program. She says she respects and appreciates hearing both sides of this. Patricia, thank you for watching the program. Got a number of realtors watching the program. Uh, Katie Pearl will highlight you. Vanessa Parkhill's watching in Earliesville. Jamie Clark. Uh, Christelle, welcome to the program. Viewers and listeners, if you have any comments, put them in the feed. We'll relay them live on air. Should we talk? Jerry, uh, let me just one other please, thing in please. regards to what, um, what, what Roy was talking about uh, as it relates to this whole you know, aspect of, of the, the supply and demand. And, and again, it, it really is about um, highest and best use, right? Highest and best use. And, and with this zoning ordinance, again, um, the highest and best use changes. It does. Right? It yeah, changes. Sure. And, and so the supply and demand changes, right? And so the highest and best use, if I can put eight units on there and get an RI, say it's a development, so it's a rental, you know, obviously if it's eight units, it's probably going to be a rental uh, scenario. And I can, well, as an example, I know of uh, somebody who built a building who put on the top floor apartments, UVA immediately went to them and tried to rent all of them for traveling nurses at UVA hospital, right? That is a more expensive rent than just the normal one year because it's short term and because people need something close, that kind of thing. So the demand is there for that as well. You know, let's not forget the the rental aspect of this. And and again, kudos to Sam Sanders and his staff for, for wanting to change things, but many of you who follow me on Facebook know that um, um, we just renovated a house. And, and, and are moving into a house to age in place, right? Wide doorways, so it may with the walker and the wheelchair, whatever it can get in, no step showers, that kind of stuff. Uh, it took eight months to do it, right? Mm-hmm. Now, it, part of it was because of the city, uh, because of inspections and, and, and things like that. And I really do believe things are getting better in regards to that. But going back to what Roy just said, the, the builder that, that did it for us was coming into Charlottesville 
and artist was one of the first things he did. He had no idea what he was getting into as it related to the city and the cost of labor versus Richmond, which yeah. is where he spent most of his time. You right. know? So again, Plus are, the carrying cost for you. Yeah, well, again, and now all that worked out. My, point, uh, my only point about that is going, just supporting what Roy said, that people who are doing this don't have any idea until they get into it. Right. The additional costs and time, cost of money, cost of time. And, uh, and, and just real quickly, shout out to my buddy Mark Duffner. Uh, Mark's a, a good high school friend and is a uh, uh, um, uh, senior defense consultant for the Cincinnati Bengals. So the fact he's taken time away to listen to this <laughs> show uh, means a great – they had a big win Sunday, so maybe he's got the day off. I don't know. But uh, shout-out to my buddy Mark. But anyway, the point being is, as you, you, know, you do need to understand – that the city and, and this area is different than in other places. Um, so I'll highlight some of the viewers and listeners, then pass it to you. Sure. Vanessa Parkhill is watching in Earliesville. She says the affordability comes in when new builds are required to have X number of affordable rental units. Michael highlighted this. The rest of the market is left to make up the difference, which is a huge hit punch to the first-time home buyer. Michael highlighted this. Vanessa Parkhill also says Charlottesville is not operating in a too su- true supply and demand situation because council dictates some of the prices. Lisa Custolo is watching on Cherry Avenue. My dad bought this two-bedroom, one-bath house for $12,519.64. That's the house she's in now. I told my next-door neighbor if he wants to pay me the $2,100 he is paying for a similar house, he can have mine as long as he lets me pitch a tent with a porter potty in the backyard. She says dad's mortgage was $120 a month. Yes, that was more than it is now, but still $120 a month. Basically, she's highlighting how prices um, have skyrocketed while wages have not at the same clip. Um, and that's not just for Charlottesville, but that's also nationally. Um, I'll throw open-ended anywhere you want to go. I do want to highlight the covenants and restrictions that I'm hearing happening around here, and I would love to highlight the cause and effect with you, Michael, you're a real estate expert, on how you could see um, upzoning the impact it could have in Albemarle County in the urban ring and in HOA neighborhoods around Albemarle, because I think it's going to lead even more demand to those areas as people want the backyard and the white picket fence. First, open-ended to Roy. Well, I agree. I, yes, I, I've been in discussions with several groups that are working with their attorneys to put some covenants and restrictions on their property as far as a street or a neighborhood. And it's a tough question to ask somebody to voluntarily place their house and and give up, give up those development rights. Because especially in some of our challenged neighborhoods, for, for a, lot of, a lot of people, this is their kind of their retirement. retirement. Yeah, and Not kind of. Yeah, it is it, their it, retirement. It, it, it is their investment. Yes, it's their biggest investment no they've doubt. made in no their doubt. life. And if I could sell something for 500000 For three to four X more than the actual value because of the upside. Exactly. Yeah, that's so what you're saying. why take away that opportunity for wealth creation uh, just because um, you, you're trying to do something altruistic for the entire neighborhood. It's a, it's, a very, it's a very tough question, but it's one that is being asked. And I think that there's a lot of people who want to live in a single-family residential neighborhood with maybe an ADU or in another apartment or something behind, but not blow up their neighborhood. And, and I think that's a, fair, that's a fair thing. People bought in and said, this is what I'm buying. And this is the environment I'm living in, and I can we can modify some things, but don't ask me to blow uh, voluntarily blow up my neighborhood. That, and I think that's honest too. The affordability, uh, 
if it were easy, like Michael said, we're competing not only for in-town growth, we're competing against people that want to leave New York, want to leave San Francisco, and that have money, and they want to live near town, and you can't compete financially against that person. And so... Our neighbors uh, sold a um, Georgetown townhome for top dollar, still work um, at two D.C. firms, husband and wife, moved down to Almaro County, um, purchased a very beautiful home, put a significant amount of money into it, still had a bag of money left over, and right. now are working from their basement through an ISP for those firms up there, right. but living in Almaro County. It, it's a different world, and it's, it's a challenging thing. And without land, you cannot build inexpensive what or for, housing that is affordable in infill. It's just kind of an oxymoron. And I know everybody wants that result. You know, that's what everybody agrees on is the result. It's the means that by how you get to that result. And that is the that's the reason why in the planning commission he, public hearing there were 115 speakers and it was almost divided 50-50. It was pretty close. It was. And the same thing with the city council public hearing. The city has done a inadequate job, I think, about bringing the community together. And I think it's kind of pitted one against the other, and one is saying, well, you know, affordable housing, and it's all about welcoming. And then it puts another group on the defensive, saying, no, I, I just think the plan is wrong, and that doesn't mean that either is right or completely right or completely wrong, but it, it, it's, it's very divisive in this town. And there's a lot of, I would say, resignation that the city's just going to take over their, their, their neighborhoods, and it's, it's not a healthy thing. Yeah, I, I hadn't even thought about what Roy just said. That it, for me, you being here for this last hour, just it really resonated with me that one of the fixes is this covenants and restrictions, but... Am I going to handcuff myself for the 10 years I'm going to live here? Or what, God forbid, something happens and somebody passes away, and now I want to sell my house, and yet I've now determined that my house is only going to be sold for this amount versus, you know, X. So that's a, a fascinating thought process. But in answer to your other question, Jerry, as far as the Urban Ring, I think the Urban Ring benefits incredibly by this. Uh, and the reason I mean that is if, for whatever reason, uh, when this uh, uh, zoning ordinance is passed, regardless of what language they put in there for reviews and things like that, which I hope they will do, and we haven't even gotten to the whole, um, you know, rent 99-year, that kind of thing. Um, uh, and we probably won't. I don't really understand that as much, but I do understand that it's another thing that would be on the city's plate and hopefully, as you said, they, they staff up. And, but, you know, the city hasn't done a great job in that area in regards to complying, you know, having the staff to do the compliance and the inspections and all those kind of things for these rentals that are going to be a part of this, right? That's a whole other how is that going to be people are going to be made sure or are they going to be sure that that's going to be handled well? But if, in fact, and when it, when it does get passed and somebody like Roy says, I'm going to sell before that happens, Where's he going to go? Well, if he enjoys being close and convenient to Charlottesville, he, you know, he's going to move back to the county and have uh, in a situation where he can protect and, and, and have what he wants, right? And so 
That's not going to help affordability in the urban ring. That's going to increase the pricing because there's there's more be demand. More demand. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. And not yeah. enough supply. So yeah. uh, you know all of these things. And and Roy said something to me on my show that was really helpful. You know we need UVA, Albemarle, Charlottesville banding together in this situation and trying to figure it out together because it's ten square miles and then there's you know X and then. You know, as we all know, Albemarle only has a certain percentage of growth area. Well, maybe Albemarle needs to expand that a little bit so that they increase, you know, affordability. You know, and those kind of things should all be coming together versus each one of them operating in their own silos. Five percent of Albemarle County allocated for development. Uh, we've had a handful of Board of Supervisors um, sitting where Michael and Roy are sitting saying they're not going to expand the five percent until the current five percent is at capacity. Um, now, I will say this. Uh, Michael Pruitt elected to the Board of Supervisors. He's very much in favor of expanding the, um, the developmental area in Almaro County. However, you have to get to four votes. There's six supervisors. You've got to get to four votes. A 3-3 vote is a tie, and that means it does not pass. So right now, not the political capital to expand the developmental area. Um, you Two-part question for you, Roy. A, do you see this being passed before the turn of the calendar? Do you see this being passed in December? Yes. I, the I, next think, the, I, I think the city council is committed to uh, passing something, which it's troubling because we don't know what that passing is. Yeah. So you see that happening at the next meeting? They have a work session They have Wednesday. two left, right? Yeah, they have a couple of work sessions. I see that they want to they wanna finish this up by the end of the year so they can start 24, kind of with that, that done. Okay. Um, Neil Williamson has highlighted on this program before that, and Neil, I believe, is what Neil is watching right now, that this is um, a, a evolution and not a revolution, the upzoning, meaning that this is um, going to be a slow change. Oh, well, I, do, to the I agree with that. I agree with uh, Neil's that it's not going to happen all of a sudden. It can't because of the infrastructure in the city. But what I don't agree on is once these different up zonings are passed you you're not going to ever come back it's going to be that's the way it's going to be and so my whole purpose is to let's start slower let's start a little less aggressive just like the mayor said let's not do the entrance corridor with 10 or 12 story buildings right from the get-go let's look into that a little bit let's hold it let's 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 walk into this a little bit and really consider what do we actually want to do as a community. And I think that's, that's where I, I come from is let's not, let's not let the horse out of the corral right now, but say in two years let's look at this, two years let's look at that. Um, and and that's, that is probably a more measured area. Although the pressure for affordable housing is just going to amp up. Woody Fincham um, says he left the assessor's office because they pay nothing. He quadrupled, he says, his salary the first year he left. He said staffing only improves if you pay folks well. Um, Grayson's watching in North Downtown. He's watching the show. He says, I've thoroughly enjoyed this conversation from start to finish. This is a topic we talk about often in our neighborhood, walks with our neighbor. Um, and he also says that he thinks upzoning will breed expensive units for folks that cannot necessarily afford them, except they're out-of-towners with what Jerry calls the big bags of money. 
Um, this comment's come in from Vanessa, who's watching in Earliesville, and we appreciate your comments, Vanessa. Um, she says, uh, I appreciate Roy's thoughtful willingness to engage in, measure, in measured change. Um, she also says, more importantly, what is being done to facilitate building of apartments in the Kmart Seminole Square area? This is a perfect, currently underutilized place. Most would be okay with seeing lots of opportunities for housing. Um, Lisa says, having inherited 50% of my house, this is the only reason I am sitting in a single-family house, albeit a small one inside the city. There is no way I could afford to buy this small house on my own. Many homeowners are like me, old Charlottesville, who inherited their house versus newcomers who could afford and do pay any amount to move here. A lot of truth to that. Um, Jerry, real quick, um, going back to the Kmart and, absolutely. and, and, um, and the mall, Fashion Square Mall. I don't know where it is, but uh, in the time frame, I know where it is uh, in the time frame, but um, Great Eastern Management down along Hillsdale, past Whole Foods on the right where the old giant used to be. People who haven't been here for years don't even know what I'm talking about because the giant's been gone a long, long time. But they own all that. And, and one of the keys to Hillsdale being extended all the way to hydraulic was, was Chuck Rodkin and, and, and um, uh, David uh, Mitchell. Uh, you know, worked with the city and the county to uh, to create an ingress egress there, and the reason being is, if I understand, and Jerry, you may know better than I, but that's all going to be mixed use, from Whole Foods down to um, uh, Via, right? Uh, that whole shopping center is going to be retail and uh, apartments above, and the cool thing about that is, is it's on uh, the city city public transit, so you're going to have access to. Um, uh, you can go all the way up to the center at Belvedere or, or you go into town or whatever. And it, it seems like it's been a long time coming, but I, I, I assume that's still in the, in, it in is. the works. It right? is. Yeah, still in the pipe. Um, we haven't talked infrastructure. Well, that, that is another issue with infrastructure. <laughs> that's what he alludes to here. Uh, yeah, the infrastructure, um, it, it, it's, it's kind of like that cloud. You can kind of see it, but you, it's hard to put your hand around it and really understand it. But we have a sewer system with a certain amount of capacity. Um, when you start putting some significant infill or doubling, or e even if we increase the capacity of housing in our, ho in our community by 30%, the sewer system isn't built for that in the street. And it's built with terracotta pipe, and you start tearing that up, and the sewer is at the bottom rung of what's in the street. You know, well, let's hope they can do it much faster than they did the intersection at Rugby Avenue. Yeah, I know. Well, Rock. it's still a work in progress. <laughs> well, I mean, in, in even more simplistic terms, they, the city runs the Charlottesville Public School bus system, and they can't get the students to school and home on time with bus drivers. So if we increase density and have more kids on bus routes, and in our current population, we can't get the kids to school on buses. How are we going to get more kids to school well, on buses? And, well, and real quick, in giving the city a bit of a doubt, that has improved immeasurably since school started. It has uh, improved, and I particularly you, in the county. No, I'm talking to the city. I yeah. can speak specifically because initially my grandchildren were lucky enough to make the list. And there were only three or four of them at the bus stop. They're probably 12 or 15 now. So they've, they've obviously good. increased the capacity right. and things are better than they were. Yeah, that's tr very true. Very but, true. But you're, you're correct. You know, the, the, the city and the county is working just on their water supply. And that's a ginormous project to allow, to give us the amount of water at Ragged Dam, Ragged Mountain Reservoir. But then there's, if we have to add on to a school, look at just what walkers... Right. 
uh, what the cost of that was 70, 90 million. Buford. Right, Buford, Buford is what Buford. you're talking about. Yeah. School Buford. reconfiguration. Buford. Yeah. And, and now you say maybe we're going to need a new school or we're going to tear down a school and that's a couple of hundred million. That all comes, if you divide it by the by how many people that's live a lot in of Charlottesville, money. That's, that's, that's a big a number. Yeah. That's a big number. Um, well, how about, again, it, you know, infrastructure, yeah. you got you know, transportation and just going back to you know, the 10-story the uh, Truist uh, project, um, again, that, one of the reasons that was deferred, a number of reasons, but one of the big reasons was, is, well, have you done the transportation study yet? No. Well, how in the world, and they better be thinking transportation as it relates to Old Ivy Road, too, because when they put, was it 246? You know this firsthand. Yeah. How many years did you spend at the Roy Wheeler? Yeah. I mean, coming still, out. Still there, yeah, yeah. for sure. I mean, coming out, t- try to... Try taking a left over at Borset after you're playing some squash and trying to go to Crozet or taking a right. Or you taking could, a left out of White Gables or Kenridge across from Birdwood. You could I'm spend about, 10 minutes there. Yeah. You, you, the only way you can get out of there is by the courtesy of people that are coming. No, the only way to get out of there is to It's a risk right. your life. No, is to turn right <laughs> and then and turn come up to my neighborhood where the light is, our I've office, and do the U-turn and come back and get back yeah, on again. Right. Yeah. But, but my point being is the 246 units there um, across from Faulkner – Right on Old Ivy Road and getting on 29, and then you put that structure at the corner of Massey and, and Ivy Road. That that whole transportation study is not just about that corner; it's about that whole corridor because UVA has bought. At some point, Food of All Nations is going to have to move. Probably they're under yeah. long-term lease. UVA paid 20 million for Ivy Square Shopping Center, but we all know the future of Ivy Square Shopping Center is not in its current form. To your right. point, and so yeah. from there all the way down under under the bridge. The one-lane bridge that's yeah. going to get people to, first, to have a wonderful meal at, at IVN, but then second, to get down to those apartments and to try to get on to 29 to go back home. I mean, it, that whole corridor is, I mean, they've done a bunch of it, you know, for the University Police, and they, they've expanded all that with the orthopedic center and stuff, but that part be, after that... That's a huge infrastructure issue. Fantastic points from Michael Guthrie. Gentlemen, an hour and seven minutes flies by when you're sitting at a table like this with astute stakeholders like yourselves. How about some uh, closing thoughts? Um, Roy, will go with uh, our esteemed guest first. Some closing thoughts. Well, I, I love this city. You know, I love Charlottesville, um, and I'm, I've watched it grow, and I am very open personally to... Uh, f- affordable housing and finding solutions. I just think this current plan is is too ambitious and too. Uh, it, it it just it's it's hard to to bank on this for the future. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Michael. Again, just just my whole point over this last you know four to six weeks on my show and here um, uh, being uh, Keith's sub is trying to make you understand what's actually happening and encouraging you to get engaged. Um, You know, even in these last few weeks to reach out on whichever side of the equation you're on to reach out and support or reach out against and and, and give them reasonable data. I heard Cree Deeds, our state senator today, I, I thought this was a great point. He said, I'm only as good as the information I get. He said, I have made mistakes in my 30-some years, because he was delegate before his state center. I've made mistakes in my 30 years because I didn't have all the information. So, and so he said, don't assume that I have the information. Give it to me. You know, let me know what you think. Give me. And so that's what we need to do. We need to be giving folks information. That's what I've been trying to do. Give people information that maybe they haven't thought about. Uh, but most importantly, get engaged. And even if it, when it does get... Uh, approved. Let's just you know call it as it is. Um, when it does get approved, 
that doesn't mean you stop. Now it's about, okay, you've approved it. Now you've got to figure out how to implement it. Get involved in that, making sure that um, they think about ways that they can implement this that takes into account a lot of the things that Roy has spent so much time uh, working on. And, and, and again, all of us want affordability. All of us want availability, uh, but not at the cost of, of, of things just being total chaos because we haven't put the infrastructure and haven't thought about these other aspects of the financial you know, repercussions of it. Um, yeah, it could be very positive and it could turn into um, you know, exactly what everybody wants, but I just think, to use that line, the jury's still out on that. Um, the people that have been watching this over the, you know, the last few years say there's not enough data yet. They think that there's going to be positive impact, but more research needs to be done. Well said, gentlemen. Um, easy peasy show for a host like me with guys like you here. Hour and 10 minutes um, on the program. Michael Guthrie, Real Estate Matters. His reputation speaks for itself. 1070 WINA, um, a, a stakeholder of, of documented proportions here and in Charlottesville in Central Virginia. And Roy is just absolutely fantastic. He, as Vanessa Parkhill has said, brings a measured approach, a thought-out approach, a well-researched approach. And all we want to be is the water cooler here of conversation where you, the viewer and listener, can hear both sides of what's happening. So for Roy and Michael and, and our esteemed uh, producer and uh, director, Judah Wickhauer, yeah, thanks, who allows Judah. us thank to you, do Judah. what yes. we enjoy doing, which is talking about things we're passionate about. Thank you, Judah. This is Real Talk with Keith Smith. It's archived at realtalkwithkeithsmith.com. The I Love Seville show is up in one hour and five minutes where we'll continue the local chatter on topics that are important to you. Thank you kindly for joining us. We'll see you in one hour and now four minutes. Take care. <laughs> well done, guys. That was yeah, easy. thank you. Thank, thank you very much. And he's going to tell us when the uh, mics are on.